I want to take as my text this morning that uh, second uh, reading, the reading from uh, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 10. And if you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1152, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and beginning at verse 2. In fact, I'd like us to read that again just so it's fresh in our minds. Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 and beginning at verse 2, in which the great apostle Paul wrote, And I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on mine own behalf I will not boast except of my weaknesses. And though if I should wish to boast, I, I wouldn't be a fool, for I would only be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me and hears from me. And so to keep me from being too elated or conceited by the suppressing, surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me and to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content. I rejoice with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then am I strong. This morning I want to talk about being strong in God even when you're weak. Being strong in God even when you're weak. In fact, we might even say, especially when you're weak, which no doubt sounds an oxymoron. But with God, this is a fundamental principle. And so Jesus says, what, in, in verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Or Paul himself in verse 10, For when I am weak, then <laughs> am I strong. Now, to be weak is to be human. Indeed, the great apostle Paul was more than just acquainted with weakness. Indeed, he was well acquainted with it. In fact, in this same letter to the Corinthians, this same second letter in chapter 11 and verse 29, Paul asks the rhetorical question, Who is weak and I'm not weak? But rather bemoan his weakness, which is what we often do. Paul, interestingly enough, he celebrates his weakness. And that because, as Paul says himself, his, his, his weakness served a purpose. 
Indeed, in verses 2 through 7, Paul, speaking uh, about himself in the third person, which was not an uncommon rhetorical device that was used by the rabbis in Paul's day, he's talking about himself, but he refers to himself in the third person. He, he says that some 14 years prior to his writing what we know as the second letter to the Corinthians, he was, as he describes it, caught up are uh, taken up into what he calls the third heaven. Now, if the first heaven is uh, the earth's atmosphere where, we, where the birds fly and the, and we, and the clouds are, and, and the second heaven is what we might think of as uh, outer space where the stars are and the other planets are, then presumably the third heaven is somewhere beyond that. But Paul also calls this uh, third heaven uh, paradise, which might be a little bit uh, easier for us to grasp. It is what the Bible refers to as the place of the righteous dead. Uh, that, that special place where God's special presence is on display. In fact, the word paradise may bring up in your memory the words that Jesus said to one of the thieves that was dying next to him when they were dying together on the cross. And we read in Luke chapter 23 and beginning at verse 42, and he, that one of the thieves, said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today, when you and I die, you will be with me in paradise. And this is the place that Paul says he went. He was caught up to this place, whether in the body or out of the body. He doesn't seem to know. In 2 Corinthians, this same letter again, in chapter 5 and verse 8, Paul says that to be absent for us as believers, to be absent from our bodies, he's talking about death, when the soul is separated from the body, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. To be present with the Lord, to be in paradise, this is the place that he says uh, he was caught up unto. As he mentions here, and I just touched on, he didn't know whether it was a physical body experience. He said he didn't know whether it was in the body. He, he didn't know whether it was an out-of-body experience. That his soul was caught up, his body stayed here, he didn't know. He says God knows, twice he says. He couldn't tell, he wasn't sure. But whether in the body or out of the body, he was sure of the experience itself. Paul says that in paradise, uh, he, he heard things. In the New Living Translation, it says that, that, he, that, that things so astounding, or in the New English Translations, things so sacred, that he goes on to say that, he, that, uh, that, that the things that he heard are beyond his ability to express in words. Things, as he put it, uh, that uh, it wasn't his place to repeat, even if he could. He sort of speaks as if he has no you know, divine permission, like, uh, like John the Divine when he saw the revelation. And Jesus said, and so write these things and, and tell about these things. Uh, but he seems to have no permission to do so. I also was... It made me think of that famous verse in Deuteronomy chapter 29, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29, where Moses says the secret things belong to God. And Paul says that on behalf of this man, 
who is caught up to the third heaven, who is caught up to paradise. I'll boast about him. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in my weaknesses. That's what I'll boast about. It's it seemingly, and perhaps, he never mentioned this in 14 years. <laughs> but, he, but he says, I will boast of my weaknesses, lest others, as he says, should focus on him and think more of him than they might otherwise think. In other words, I'm not going, he's saying, I'm not going to take advantage of that and go on a book tour. And become the guy who was caught up to heaven ministries. Or some other such thing as we might know it today. In fact, in the same letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5, he says, For we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And you know who we are? And ourselves as your slaves, as your servants. And then notice again in verse 7. And he says, and so to keep me from being too elated. Uh, other translations to be becoming conceited. In fact, um, uh, in the Greek, it's in the, it's in the middle voice. It means, to, it means to pump oneself up. And, and, and so in order that I didn't take this so seriously, I begin to think, boy... I really must be special. And so to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, it really makes you wonder what he must have saw and heard. And so to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn, sometimes translated as stake, a sharpened stick, or a rod, the same Greek word was used when referring to people being impaled on a, on a sharpened rod. And so to keep me from being too elated by the, the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me and to keep me from being too elated. We aren't told what, uh, what the thorn in the flesh is. He just dis he gives us this description, the thorn in the flesh. And so we've been guessing for 2,000 years as various different theories. It does seem, however, to have uh, seemingly a primarily physical, be physical in nature. I mean, he calls it the thorn. He doesn't call it a thorn in the spirit or a thorn in the mind. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. It seems to have been a, a constant, chronic, day-in-and-day-out kind of affliction. One that made him always weaker than he might otherwise have been. Something so constant and ever-present that it removed any inclination that he might have had to think highly of himself because of the extraordinary spiritual experience that he had, which was God's apparently primary purpose for giving him the thorn or allowing the thorn to begin with. 
to keep Paul humble lest he should be ruined spiritually by pride. And so Paul's weakness served a purpose. And our weaknesses serve a purpose too. Indeed, notwithstanding all the effort that we go to to avoid weakness and suffering, weakness and suffering serve a critical spiritual purpose. Not only in the life of the apostle, but in our lives as well. I've always been intrigued by this verse from Psalm 119. In verse 71, maybe if you've read it, Maybe you've forgotten it. Maybe you never have read it. Psalm 119 and verse 71, and the psalmist says, It is good for me that I was afflicted. I've never heard anybody say that. (laughs) But the psalmist says it. It is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. It's a prayer. Lord, it's good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. You and I both know, apart from affliction, I wouldn't have paid any attention. Made me think of Hebrews 5 and verse 8. Now this has to do with Jesus. It says, and although Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience by what he suffered. It's the same thing that the psalmist said. Herman Gunkel, in his commentary on the Psalms, wrote this. He said, grievous woes. Wow, that's strong language. Only an Old Testament scholar uses this kind of language. Grievous woes give release to the life of the Spirit. You want the life of the Spirit? Good. (laughs) It arises out of affliction. Grievous woes give release to the life of the Spirit. Pure, authentic religion is to be found only where tremendous struggles have been experienced. The man whose ways are prospering can perhaps do without the divine helper. But the sufferer who despairs of humanity and of the world will lift up his hands out of the depths of his distress to the God who dwells on high. (laughs) On many occasions, the Apostle Paul, people would say, you're out of your mind. (laughs) Because this was the kind of life he lived. John Zoll, in his great book, Grace and Addiction, wrote this, Pain is the touchstone of all spiritual progress. Pain is the touchstone of, not some, all spiritual progress. Rob Bell, in his book, Drops Like Stars, he wrote this, There's greatness in you. There's greatness in you, courage, desire, integrity, virtue. There's compassion in you, dignity, loyalty, love. It's in there somewhere. And sometimes it takes suffering to get at it. And so our weaknesses and our sufferings serve a purpose. They they keep us humble. They remind us that we're finite. 
You know? All you need to do is get the, get the spokes kicked out of your wheels a couple of times and you stop bragging and thinking that you're something better, stronger, you know, sort of invincible. You're not, neither am I. And so weaknesses, suffering, keep us humble. The, the, the weakness reminds us that God is God and we're not. It makes us merciful. I've told this story and I don't tell much about it, but just the incident and I was having a lot of problems and I went to go see a Christian counselor and one of the things I said to him, I said, I'm so ashamed. And he, he, he said, that's okay. This will make you merciful. I don't even know that guy's name. I only saw him once. But I, I can't forget what he said. And you know what? He's right. When you fail, if you're wise... You become merciful and useful to other people who suffer. Someone has written, no one can lead another person out of the desert who hasn't been there himself. <laughs> no one can lead somebody out of the desert who hasn't been them himself or herself. Or as someone else has written, when I'm suffering, I don't want to talk to someone who's never had his heart broken. I don't need that. In fact, I think that's why uh, uh, some of the verses in the Bible that people use as cliches get a, get a bad rap because somebody will come up and say, that's okay because God works all things together for good. What do you know about it? What would you know about the pain and the darkness that I'm dealing with right now? But when you can say, well, nothing of what you're describing surprises me. In fact, I think uh, the next question is, and so what's God going to do next? <laughs> because he's able. And I'm broken and you're broken, but you know what? He's not broken. And we can stand with him, both feet on him. And nothing moves underneath. What did Jesus say? And he who hears my words and does them is like a man who builds his house on a rock. But I'm not a rock. <laughs> But he's a rock. And we remember that through weakness. Indeed, our weaknesses and our suffering provide us an opportunity to trust and obey God. And sometimes weakness and suffering is just about the only thing that will get us to that place. Our weaknesses and our sufferings give us the opportunity to become more like Christ. And so to be weak is to be human, and our weaknesses serve a purpose. Finally then, as Paul says in our text, and God strengthens the weak. <laughs> he strengthens the weak. Notice again, verses 8 through 10. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. We can all relate to that, because that, sometimes we never get past this. We just spend, he, he, he asked three times, well, we spend three years praying that he would take something away. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, that the, this thorn in the flesh that's harassing me, three times I pleaded that it should leave, but he said to me, but he said to me, Paul, 
my grace is enough. My grace is enough. My grace is sufficient for you. And let me tell you one more thing. And my power, not your power, my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore, Paul, Paul says, and therefore, since that's true, I will boast all the more gladly. <laughs> that's what Jesus said, you know, the last of the Beatitudes, and blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And when they lie on you and they insult you and they do everything they can to screw you over and backwards and, and thwart you, Jesus says, rejoice and be glad because that's what they did to the prophets that came before you. And yours is the kingdom of God. And therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content. Literally, the word content here in the ESV literally means, in fact, uh, I think in the, in the King James, it, it, it says, um, I, I, you know, I rejoice. <laughs> I rejoice in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions. That's what Jesus said. Rejoice and be glad. And calamities. For I know that when I'm weak in these ways, I am strong. Why? Because when I'm down, He fills me up. And it's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. I, Dr. Howard just retired. He was... He was my pastor when I was in my teens and 20s. Uh, and he's been pastor to my family for decades. And he just retired. He said something one time. He said, some, he said, you know, sometimes I'm with some people and I'm impressed with them. He said, and then sometimes I'm with other people and I'm impressed with their God. <laughs> sometimes I'm with some people and I go, wow, you're great. And sometimes if with, I'm with other people and I go, wow. Your God is great. That's what Paul was talking about. I don't want to be the guy who, I don't want to, I don't want to be the guy that everybody says, oh, he's the one who was caught up to paradise. I want to be the guy who people say, they beat him in the public square, threw him in prison with another Jewish guy called Silas, put his feet in the stocks with his bottom on the, on the, on the, uh, on the, uh, the, the cold pavement there, and they were singing with blood dripping down their backs. That's the guy I want to be known as. That the power doesn't come from me. It comes from somewhere else. Indeed, it has to have come from somewhere else because that's not normal. In fact, if you're filled with the Spirit, you won't be normal. You'll be divine. The divine life living in you. And by the way, God doesn't worry about stuff. <laughs> he doesn't worry about stuff. And so God strengthens us. But notice, He doesn't always strengthen us in the way that we would choose. Paul prayed three times that God would take the thorn away, but God had other plans, better plans. That's something to keep in mind, you know, when you're praying. 
and you think you're getting the answer that you're getting is no, <laughs> now it's getting exciting because you know what? He's got a better answer to your prayer. God had other plans. And sometimes God strengthens us while, we're, while the weakness remains. In fact, as Paul says, that's how God perfects His power in us. And the byproduct of that kind of strength is what Jesus calls in another context, perfect freedom. Notice again, verses 8, or 9 through 10, and notice Paul's attitude. <laughs> this is a guy who has a thorn in the flesh that's harassing him every day. And listen to how he talks. Verse 9. But Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power, my power, Paul, is perfected in people like you, perfected in people of weakness. And Paul says, and therefore I will rejoice, I'll boast, I'll celebrate all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Robert Llewellyn in his book, A Door to Silence, wrote this. He said, our choice as Christians is not whether we suffer or whether we don't. Our choice as Christians is whether given suffering it shall be creative in us or destructive. Indeed, everybody knows what it means to suffer. You know, every one of you, and I know. And everybody knows what it's like to be weak. But God is not uninvolved. Indeed, many times God uses weaknesses and pain to get our attention. You remember what C.S. Lewis said famously? God whispers to us in our pleasures. God speaks to us in our conscience. But he shouts to us in our pain. I wonder, is God shouting to you this morning? And if he's shouting to you, what will your response be? Or perhaps in your case, God needs to shout a little louder with a little more pain. Being strong in God, even when we are weak. Let us pray. I hope you wouldn't have to turn the screws any tighter, Lord, to get our attention. that you give us ears to hear. I suppose that's why Jesus was always saying that. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Lord, I pray this morning that we have, have ears to hear, to hear what you're saying, in humility to embrace it, <laughs> and in all of our humanity to enjoy it. What is the chief end of man? 
to love God and to enjoy him forever. That's what we want, I trust. And so give it to us, Lord. I know you want to. Give it to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.